we invite you to come in and find a spot and join us. Yes, and please stand. you to have a seat. Um, we usually don't make announcements at this time, um, but we have two. The first one is congratulations to Davis and Amber. We're excited for you. <laughs> um, we'll let you congratulate Amber later, and Davis, I think, is driving his parents to the airport. So, um, the second one is um, the worship leaders as well as the group that plans the hymn night sing is looking for suggestions of your favorite hymns. So on the table behind the couch, please, um, if you have a hymn that you would really like to sing, a favorite, make sure that you write it down. The hymnal's right beside there and make sure you write the number as well because um, sometimes there's more than one version. And so make sure you write down the one that is the version that you are hoping for. All right, we'll let the rest of the announcements be in Russell's court. Join me as we pray. God, I thank you that you're present. Thank you for bringing Davis and Amber together and uh, just pray for your continuing work to be done in them and through them. And um, just for your blessing on them. I just pray too that you would lead us and guide us this morning as we worship you in songs, in, in listening, 
and different ways of participating. Amen. I'll be reading Psalm 15, and then we'll just go straight into singing. Psalm 15. Lord, who can live in your sacred tent? Who can stay on your holy mountain? Anyone who lives without blame and does what is right. They speak the truth from their heart. They don't tell lies about other people. They don't do wrong to their neighbors. They don't say anything bad about them. They hate evil people, but they honor those who have respect for the Lord. They keep their promises even when it hurts. They do not change their mind. They lend their money to poor people without charging interest. They don't accept money to harm those who aren't guilty. Anyone who lives like that will always be secure. I invite you to stand for the next two songs.
It's always interesting how such a simple song is just such a real truth. And um, in the two songs that we chose for this week, um, we chose them almost a month ago. And uh, in knowing that um, our brother Frank Bennett has passed away in this week, um, it's just a really a good reminder. Um, I just invite you to stay standing, and we will pray for the offering. If you feel comfortable, put your hands out in an offering to God. 
Um, God, we offer you ourselves, our hearts and our minds and our bodies. We also offer you the gifts of um, finances that you have given us. Help us to generously give them back to you and use them for your kingdom and for your glory. Amen. As the worship team sits down, um, I invite you to turn to Matthew 5. We're we'll reading Matthew 5, 1 to 12, and I'll be reading out of the New International Reader's Version. Jesus teaches the disciples in crowds. Jesus saw the crowds, and so he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and then he began to teach them. Jesus gives blessings. He said, blessed are those who are spiritually needy. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who are sad. They will be comforted. Blessed are those who are humble. They will be given the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for what is right. They will be filled. Blessed are those who show mercy. They will be shown mercy. Blessed are those whose hearts are pure. They will see God. Blessed are those who make peace. They will be called children of God. And blessed are those who suffer for doing what is right. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people make fun of you and hurt you because of me. You are also blessed when they tell all kinds of evil lies about you because of me. Be joyful and glad. Your reward in heaven is great. And in the same way, people hurt the prophets who lived long ago. The word of the Lord. Good morning. All right. Oh, no, it's this one I want. Let's bow our heads now and dismiss the little ones to Children's Church. Dear Lord, we thank you for the children of our congregation, the ones here and the ones at home as well. And God, we pray a blessing on each of them. We pray that you will work through their lives in amazing ways. And we pray that Children's Church this morning will be a blessing to them. They will learn new things. They will learn who you are in new ways. And we pray also for the teacher, give them the words to say. Lord, we pray these things in your name, and we also pray a blessing on our service today. Amen. All right. If you have your bulletins on, you now is the time to pull them on out. And the first thing you will notice is that there is something going on at the church later today. Quiet music in the church with coffee and snacks afterwards. That is at 7 p.m., talking to Jeff. I know he is very excited, and he's also very excited that I called it quiet music and not ah, <laughs> the other thing that I accidentally put in one of the update emails, but I'm excited for it too. So today, 7 p.m., come on out. It's going to be a great time. Uh, Wednesday, 2 p.m., uh, prayer meeting at the church. It's in the afternoons now. This last weekend it worked out, sorry, this last week it worked out very well at 2 p.m. So uh, if you are around, 
come on out. We'd love to have you. Uh, 6.30 p.m., Kids Connect at the church. And speaking of Kids Connect, if you skip on down, we have a couple things that we want to highlight there. The first is if you are somebody that likes doing wood crafts, or if you are somebody that knows how to use a hammer, or if you are someone willing to learn how to do wood crafts or use a hammer, talk to Christine. They could use you. Uh, next, uh, making snacks. They could always use more snacks for Kids Connect. And so talk to Amy for that. And also one more that isn't on here, but I want to highlight as well. Uh, as part of the program, they want to give a Bible to the different kids that are coming. And to do that, they need money to buy Bibles. So if you are interested in giving money in order to buy Bibles for the kids at Kids Connect, talk to Christine. And she can talk to you all about the different kids. And also... Uh, just let you know what's all going on at Kids Connect. It is a wonderful ministry, and I, I am excited every time I hear about it. So keep those things in mind. Next, Thursday, 7.30, Girls Bible Study at Bethany's, and Sunday, next Sunday, 9.45 a.m., Sunday School, 10.45 a.m., the worship service. We are going to have a guest speaker coming next Sunday. Michael Bergen will be coming to share with us. Uh, I, he's going to do an update for what has all gone on at Valley View, and he's also going to preach from his heart, from the Sermon on the Mount, the passage after ours today. So... That'll be a good Sunday, so Michael Bergen next Sunday, come on out for that. Skipping down, February 3rd to 5th, Meshen Fest is going on at the Church of the Rock. I know there are people coming from our congregation, uh, so if you're interested, check it out. Uh, the website is up, all the speakers are already announced, uh, it looks like it'll be a good one. Um, then February 17th to 19th, volunteers are needed uh, for Valley View's The Sledding Hill. That's the next weekend we are on. Emily has been furiously emailing me about making sure that we get people signed up for that. So uh, I'd encourage you, if you are free that weekend, then sign up to volunteer at the Valley View Sledding Hill. Get in touch with Emily. She'll be able to uh, help you with that. If you don't have her email address or don't have a way of contacting her, then get in touch with me and I'll put you in touch. All right. Then, as far as other things that aren't on here because I forgot, uh, there's also the contact info for Theo and Barb. Uh, but beyond that, uh, if anybody is interested in getting baptized, then I put out the call formally today. Uh, we are going to be having baptism classes for a possible baptism in the spring. If anyone is interested, then let me know. Uh, or if you know anyone that might be interested, let me know. Uh, also, if you are interested in becoming a member, then come talk to me as well. All right. Any more announcements? Okay. Then on to items for prayer. <clears throat> and the first one there, uh, the passing of Frank Bennett. I must admit that one took me quite by surprise. Um, I'm going to have a conversation with his nieces who are planning the funeral later today. Uh, so keep an eye on your emails or... Uh, We'll get the information to you. Uh, Mackenzie's is doing this funeral out of Portage, uh, not Clark's here. So uh, I'll let you know when it is and where it is, and I'll get that information to you as soon as I know. But let's pray for his family as well as let's pray for the people feeling that loss, many of which are here today. We lost our brother. Um, let's pray tonight for the, the quiet music event uh, this evening. Let's pray for Kids Connect 
And let's also pray for Amber and Davis. Why not? I know, you get two prayers in one service. That's, that's double the blessing right there. But let's spend some time now in prayer. Our Lord, we come before you this morning first off in praise. And there are many things to praise you for on this cold January morning. And the first one is Frank. While I am going to miss him, at the same time, I have no doubt that he was a man that followed you. Talking about the sermons after the service or his thoughts on this and that. I thank you, Lord, that he is home with you now. I thank you for the memories he has shared with us and the impact he has had. God, I praise you for Frank, and I pray be with his, his nieces as they are looking to plan the upcoming funeral. Help us to put things into place. Lord, this we put before you. And while we're talking about praise, we also praise you for the other things going on as well. We, we praise you for the people of this congregation that music is an extension of who they are. As we are excited tonight for the quiet music event, Lord, we thank you for Jeff. We thank you for Fender Hill. We thank you for everyone else that is involved that I'll see later tonight. God, we pray a blessing on them as they play, as they play, as well as on the stories that are shared, as well as the food and the conversation and well, we know it'll be a good time, but we thank you for them. And God, we also want to praise you for Kids Connect as well. We thank you for the great ministry that is going on there. We thank you for the different children that are learning about you in new ways and who just have a time to come out and have fun for you, that is something unbelievably big. Even if we don't necessarily readily see it, it is so important. And so God, we pray a continued blessing on Kids Connect, on the people that volunteer and run it. And Lord, we look forward to seeing how it impacts everyone over the years to come. And Lord, we also want to Say uh, another thank you and another praise and another blessing for Amber and Davis. Lord, we pray for them as they now look to plan a wedding. And we pray that their marriage will be a good one as well as they know how excited so many people are for them. Lord, all these things we put before you and we lay them at your feet. 
Amen. All right. We're going to do something a little bit. Oops, I, I just keep jamming more and more of these bulletins in this Bible. And eventually, they're going to all fall over the floor like they did that other time. But yet, I still do it. But today, we're going to be doing something a little different than we have been for the last while. Today, when I looked at the passage that we had and saw that it was the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, I wanted to talk about peace. I wanted to talk about what our, our church's stance on it, our denominations, as we're a Mennonite denomination. It's there in our statement of faith that we are pacifists. Not everyone here agrees with that, but we'd still be here. But it is in our statement of faith, so it's important to talk about. But then as I found myself writing down what it is that was going to be said, then I very quickly found that it was less me writing down what our church believed and a lot more me writing down what I believed. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about why, why I am a pacifist. And that's something that I can say in earnestness. That's something that hasn't always been the situation. I certainly wasn't a pacifist 10, 15 years ago. But then, I remember talking to Leighton Friesen. You've met him before. He's, he's spoken here. He used to be the, the conference pastor for the EMC. But uh, now he's the dean of academics at SBC, I'm pretty sure. He teaches there as well. Uh, but I had a course with him, and also we were old friends, and he talked about why he was a pacifist and what that meant, as well as how that worked out in his faith and how that was to be lived out as a Christian by his understanding. And that had a pretty profound impact on how I think about it. And over the years, it has certainly changed, like all beliefs, they tend to evolve as you talk to people and you hear criticisms that show you that maybe what you thought before was a bit surface level. Some criticisms that came from a number of you even. And I want you to know that when I hear these things, I don't say criticism in a bad way. I'm more like, well, have you thought about this? And when you tell me these things, I, I don't just forget them and write them off. I spend time thinking them through and how does that impact? Because they're very, very intelligent points. You're a smart group of people. And those criticisms, they fell on a couple of things. Like, how can you be a pacifist if there are Hitlers and Putins in the world? This past week was, what was it, the 80th anniversary of the Holocaust? 85th? And how can you be a pacifist if that is something. That's a perfectly fair point. Or what about self-defense? If somebody is breaking into your house, then, then what do you do then? Are you a pacifist then? That's another fair point. Or even look at your Bible. There are plenty of passages that are in your Bible that do point to we should be peaceful as Christians, including in our passage today, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be the children of God. That is one of many. Jesus is the prince of peace, but 
At the same time, for every one of those, there are other passages as well where God does point to specific people and is like, you are going to act out my justice, and it is violent. And so you can't just take some passages and completely forget the others. I mean, you could do that, but that isn't a good reading of Scripture. And so this is where I am now. It might be different in a while. It, I assume it will be. But this is where I am now. And if I want to talk about why I am a pacifist, then we start with acknowledging exactly that thing about Bible verses, that there is verses, there are passages on both sides. And so if you're going to make a case for why you are a pacifist, that kind of has to be exactly that. It has to be a case. It has to be looking at the entirety of Scripture and seeing the direction that it seems to be pointing, because otherwise it's just proof texting back and forth. But I do think that Scripture makes a pretty solid case for why, as Christians, we should be devoted to peace. We should be pacifists. And that case as you might guess, because it's me making it, starts already way back in the book of Genesis. That seems to be always where I go back to, isn't it? Right there in Genesis 1. I think I have gone back there about four or five times over the last year alone. And so if you have your Bibles on you, Genesis 1. Now, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. When it comes to reading Genesis 1 through 3, there is this temptation to get completely caught up in the, is this literal or is this figurative? I wouldn't do it. I find that that is a debate that can be had, but more often than not, what that debate does is it just kind of distracts you from the deeper truths that these passages are telling us about what creation is, as well as what people are and who people are made to be, as well as what sin is and what our purpose is. And so that's really what needs to be focused on. If you want to have that conversation of is this literal or not, that, that can be had and that can be a different thing. But when we're looking at this, don't ever let it distract you from the deeper truths that it is laying out. And what those deeper truths are, you can already see in the structure of how it is being talked about. As God makes everything, what does he say? He says that it is good. That is how God talks about the creation, that he speaks into existence. And then we're going to skip over a whole lot and go straight to verse 26, where he makes people. And how does he make people? He makes people in our own image, in God's image, to be like him. And they will be masters over all life, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the livestock, wild animals, and small animals. And so God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself, male and female. He made them. And he blessed them, and he told them, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Depending on your translation, shepherd it. That's a closer to what that is. And be masters over the fish and the birds and the mammals. There's an awful lot you can take from that. 
as far as what it means to be human. And for some of you, it's going to almost be a little annoying by now because I've spelled it out so many times. But when you're reading that, there are several important things. One is we're made in the image of God. We are made male and female in the image of God which means that by nature of the fact that God made us and he made us in his image, there's value inherent in being a human being. We are inherently valuable. I mean, after all, what's a good metaphor that we could use here? I don't know. Think about the money in your pocket. It's made in the image of whatever the federal bank is, and we all agree that it has inherent value. You could say that it doesn't, but like, at the end of the day, the store is still going to take it. Same way. We're made in the image of our Lord. There is inherent value in us. We can say as much as we want that people, they don't matter, but it doesn't change the truth, doesn't change how God thinks of us, and that is that we have value. What else can we take from this? Male and female together, made in the image of God. It means that by nature of our creation, by nature of just being who we are, then we're in relationships with everybody else, aren't we? And that's true. I mean, even if you don't have a relationship with your parents, say, for instance, by nature of you being born, you do have their genetics. There is that tie there. But at the same time, go about your daily life. Think about all of the people that you interact with. If you get rid of every single other person in the entirety of the world, that isn't a recipe for just having a good time on your own. That's a recipe for dying pretty quick. To live is to be tied up with other people. It is to be involved in their lives. It is to have relationships with them. What else do we see? Well, we see that we are created to shepherd over all creation, the birds and everything else there. And that makes sense. There's a very clear progression that's happening in the story of Genesis where things get more and more complicated. And then at the top of that, then there's human beings. And we are the ones in charge of everything in the Lord's name to shepherd over it. So by nature of being made, we're part of creation, aren't we? By nature of being made, we are in a relationship with the world around us, which again makes sense. Get rid of the world around us and, well, you, your mind can't even really comprehend that, can it? There's a good reason it can't comprehend it. It makes no sense. It doesn't. So by nature of being human, that means we're in a relationship with the rest of creation as well and with God, whose, whose image we're made in. That is what it means to be made human that we see in the creation story. It's to be tied with other people. It's to be tied to God. It's to be tied to the world around us. It is to have innate value and it's to have purpose. It has to have the purpose of going out to the corners of the world and taking care of it in the name of our Lord. Then we move on to Genesis 2. And what do we see there? Well, in Genesis 2, we see that things are going pretty swell. After God breathed breath into us, 
Then Adam and God walk together in the garden, talking back and forth freely as old friends, naming all the different things in creation, making sense of them. And then eventually, woman comes into the story, and they are, it says naked in front of each other, and here we're going to be like, don't giggle. There's a lot going on here. Because that they are naked in front of each other, and that they're male and female, then immediately our mind goes to birds and bees and all of that stuff. Fair enough. But can you also think of anything that's more indicative of having a perfect relationship with someone than the fact that you don't need to hide yourself from them in any way? You see a perfect relationship between human beings in this. That absolutely is not me saying, goes forth and do likewise. Don't take that. But... There's a perfect relationship between human beings. There's a perfect relationship between human beings and God. And we're walking together in the garden, having the time of our lives and the perfect relationship between us and the rest of creation as we name it. And what do we see? We see that Eden, where human beings are doing exactly what human beings are created to do, it is a paradise. We see life thrive. We see that when human beings are doing what we are created to do, being in good relationships, living out that high value, we see that life thrives and we are in a perfect way. And then we get to Genesis 3 and sin enters the world. Humanity tries to be God for themselves. Creation in the form of a snake tries to lead humanity and succeeds off in their own little way. And immediately man and woman throw each other under the bus and they hide themselves from each other. And there we see a lot about what sin is. What is sin? We like to think that sin is just a matter of, you know, lying or cheating or murdering or any of the other things. And... I'd encourage you not to think of sin like that. That's not really what we should take away from it. That's kind of more the outpouring of what sin is, those discreet actions. What sin actually is, is the fact that what it means to be human, what we're called to be and tied to God, tied to each other, tied to the rest of creation, that is stretched and it is strained and it is just twisted and that's what sin is and from that comes all the rest of this because what happens when you have a strained relationship with other people you, well it suddenly makes a whole lot more sense to just kind of really do whatever even if it hurts them what happens if you have a strained relationship with God well it's very easy for us to go about thinking, you know what, I know best. What happens if you have a strained relationship with the rest of the world around you? Well, then maybe the fact that it is burning down doesn't matter as much. That's what sin is. It is human beings becoming less than what we were meant to be. 
and living accordingly. And then we go to the rest of the Old Testament. And the rest of the Old Testament is a story that in many ways makes no sense. It's a story that makes no sense because it's the story of our God who even though we royally mess things up, chooses to never stop reaching out to us to bring us back. That's what the books of the law are. They're in this time, in this place. This is how you can have a relationship with God. And because of that, also how you can have a good-term relationship with each other and the land you're in charge of. And then as the Bible goes on and you see God reaching out to different people, to the judges and then to the prophets, this is what you see again. God reaching out to bring the people back to himself. Reaching out to bring the people back into a relationship with himself. And part and parcel with that is like in Isaiah where you get ripped a new one essentially because they're being so terrible to each other because tied up with having a relationship with God is being in a good relationship with other people is being in a good relationship with the world around you because it's what it means to be human as we're supposed to be when you are in a good relationship with God then the rest of it is tied up with that as you're in a good relationship with God as you reach out to him then you follow the ways that he leads us, then he will lead you to being human as we were made to be without that sin that just warps everything. But we run into a problem and that throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, though we move closer and closer to God, I mean, Think about how God comes across in, say, the later parts of Genesis as compared to with the prophets. He comes across as increasingly more understandable the more he reveals himself to us. But at the same time, he is still God. He is still the unknowable. We never quite manage to make it there, but we very clearly know that he is building that bridge to the point where we will be able to walk with him in the garden again. There is coming a Messiah. Think about what we talk about every Christmas season in Isaiah. And then he comes. And then Jesus Christ is born. And it's the pinnacle of that. It's the pinnacle of God reaching out. It's the pinnacle of God reaching out that so we can be in a relationship with again because what is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? He is God. But he is also a human being born to us like you and me. Think about what that means. What that means is that by having that relationship with Jesus Christ, we can know who God is fully. It's more than that even. It means that by following Jesus Christ and the example that he gives us, then we know that we are living as human beings are meant to live fully. 
That's why the story of Scripture is so amazing. Because even though things were perfect and we kind of messed it up, our God would go to even this length to be born a human being like you and me, even to die for us, just because loves us that much. Then we come to our passage last week. If to live a life that follows Jesus Christ is to live a life that is human as we were meant to be, then it's notable that the first thing that Jesus does as he begins his ministry is that he preaches and begins building the kingdom of heaven. That's what he preaches when he goes all around in Galilee. Oh, what was our passage last week? Matthew 4, right at the end of it. It's notable that when he begins his ministry, that, that is what he begins by doing, by preaching about the coming kingdom of heaven. And it's notable because if we by following Jesus Christ, are addressing that sin, are slowly becoming human as we were meant to be, then building the kingdom is the way we're meant to do that. Building the kingdom is the way that we address and become a closer friend to God, to each other, and even to the world around us reading about what the coming kingdom is all about. That last one might be a surprise, but at the same time, think about the end of the book of Revelation, what happens, the new kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth. They come down and the Lord rules over them from his throne. But as people that are following Jesus Christ, this is what we're called to. We're called to build that kingdom. This is what happens when you follow Jesus. You build the kingdom. Build the kingdom of heaven. And what is building the kingdom of heaven? It is, it is working to make the world into that paradise that it once was. And there we come to our passage today. At the end of last week, we saw that Jesus and the beginning of the disciples were going around and they were preaching about the coming kingdom of heaven. And they were healing all of those that were sick that came to them. And then we come to the Beatitudes today. There is no pause between these two things, and there's a reason there is no pause between these two things, because what the Sermon on the Mount is, is live in this way and you will be building the kingdom. And that's important to remember when you come into it. Because we start with the Beatitudes. And what are the Beatitudes? They are a description of what the sermon builds. If you follow the sermon and its teaching, you are helping what is said in the Beatitudes come to be real, to build it up in the world around you. And when you look at the Beatitudes, what is it that you see? You see that there are blessings for those that are on the bottom of the world around us. 
But there is also a teaching that this is how we should try to be ourselves. Be with those who mourn. We see from our passage earlier, heal those who are sick. Feed those who are hungry. Stand up for those who are merciful and those who are pure of heart. And be the rock that the persecuted need. If you are building the kingdom of heaven in your life, what that will look like is what you see in the Beatitudes. And if the world that you are building is like the world that you see in the Beatitudes, then the kingdom is truly coming. And also what you know is that if you build the world that you see in the Beatitudes between here and also Luke's telling of them, what happens then? What happens is that those that are low are lifted up. What happens are that those that maybe are stepping too much on the backs of others, this is more in Luke's telling of the Beatitudes, they're knocked down a couple pegs so they're on the same plane as the rest of us. The voiceless are given a voice. Those who can't defend themselves are given someone that is unapologetically on their side. What you see are human beings finally in a good relationship with one, each other, one another again. All because we are following our Lord. All because we are in that good relationship with him. And one day, if we continue to live according to the Beatitudes, we will find ourselves at the end of Revelation. Heaven and earth come down, and they are the same under God. I'm going to say something that is going to sound rather weird, and that's because it's a term that's been co-opted, but it's a term that really fits here, so I'm going to use it anyway. As Christians, there's an understanding that we are called, when we follow God, to be a particular type of thing. We are called to be, bear with me here, Pro-life. Now, that's a term that has very much so been co-opted to the point where I think if I say we're called to be pro-life, everybody has the same idea, right? Everybody just assumes what I'm saying is, is that we're called to be, you know, against abortion. But that's a shame that that term has been co-opted to the point where that is kind of all that it means. Because I can't really think of a better way of understanding what Christians are called to be than to be pro-life. Because if you think about what that is in its fullness, then what we come across is what we saw in Genesis 2, where just by living as we were called to live, as we were made to live, then life thrives. And that same thing happens as we work to build the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven sees those that are scared on the bottom of the world lifted up. It sees the voiceless given a voice. It sees the hungry given food. It sees the poor finally on the same page as the rest of us. And it sees those that are trying their best to get ahead of everybody else by stepping on everyone else's back, knocked down to the same level as the rest of us. If you were trying to build the world where life is not scared, where 
The idea of even bringing new life into it isn't a terrifying thing because you're wondering, what is this that I'm bringing my kids into? I can't think of a better way of doing it than building the kingdom that you can see there. If you follow the Lord, if you live according to how he teaches us, if you build the kingdom, you see in the Beatitudes and the rest of the sermon that teaches us how to bring that about, what you are building is a world that is in every way pro-life. A world where life thrives, where it doesn't just live its life being terrified about what comes next. And so, as Christians, I don't see how we are not called to be in all of its forms pro-life. To which finally we come back to pacifism. I didn't forget. We're called in this Beatitudes to be peacemakers, right there in verse 9. Blessed are those who work for peace, they'll be the children of God. But more than that, if we are called to, with everything we are, build a world where life thrives, I don't see how violence isn't the exact opposite of that. We have this myth in our head that violence is in some way standing up for those that need it. And while there are certainly situations where something close to that happens, and we'll get there in a bit, don't ever forget that if you have a gun to protect someone, someone else is terrified. As Christians, we are called to live and to build a life, a world, where we are not fearing for tomorrow. We're called to build a world where we think that we can see the value in everything that our God made. But violence brings terror and uncertainty. Violence brings death. And so in my mind, if we are called to build this one world, I can't see how we can also build the other. So why am I a pacifist? Because I think that we are called to be pro-life and violence is the opposite of that. But now we come to the caveats. Because with everything that I've just said, and as well as the criticisms I mentioned earlier, it must be pretty clear that I haven't really addressed all of them yet. And I have spent a lot of thought on them. I have spent a lot of thought trying to figure out what then. And so caveat number one, are there not Putins in the world? Are there not Hitlers? Did we not just remember the anniversary of the Holocaust. This is where talking with Leighton actually helped me quite a bit. Because I think that he has some wisdoms on this one. And here I'll also say probably I'm not in line with the EMC on this one, but yeah. I'm not against 
the military. We do live in a fallen world. I think we are supposed to live as if the kingdom has already come. I think we are supposed to, as Christians, with everything we are, build that kingdom up. But again, I also think that we live in a fallen world where these terrible things do happen. And so the simple unfortunateness of it is, is that sometimes things do get bad to the point where the military is probably the only way to end things before they get worse. And so far from being opposed to the military, I, I pray for them. That's, that's an impossibly hard job. But what I'll also say is this. If the military ever find themselves in a place where they need to go to war in order to stop something like that, I think as Christians we should really take that as a bit of a failing on our part. If we are to work to make the world into the kind of place where life thrives, then how is it not a failing after 2,000 years that war still rages on? And so our answer to war should probably be to look at the Beatitudes and say to ourselves, we need to do this better. To look at our relationship with God and say, we need to be closer to him. Because what happens when you build the kingdom? What happens when you feed the poor? What happens when you give a voice to the voiceless? What happens when you are a peacemaker? What happens when you knock down those who would stand on others and get them to do their dirty work to better themselves? You systematically take away all of the reasons that violence happens in the first place. And so we live in a world where terrible things happen and sometimes they get to the point where the military is needed. When it happens, it's because the church didn't do its job, and it's on us to do it better, to bring peace, to make sure it doesn't happen again. Caveat number two. Do I think Christians should be in the military? There are passages that definitely show God selecting people to do his justice. Those have been pointed out for me. We can't ignore them. And so my thinking on this, and I'm sure that it is subject to change, is currently this. I am a pastor, which means that I'm not in the business of telling people that God didn't call them to do something. But I am also a pastor, and so I am in the business of helping people test their calling from God. And maybe that's how we should think about professions in life more often. Maybe that's how we should understand God's leading in our lives, as something that should be understood in the same way that we understand the pastorate, that if you're going to become a pastor, we accept it commonly, that you are called to that. And then if you're called to that, you spend time in prayer. You spend time in your Bible. You spend time with other people in prayer in your Bible just to make sure that that is a true calling. And maybe that's how we should talk about the military as well and other jobs that use violence. 
as something that we should treat as if the Lord calls you, then he calls you, but also let's make sure that's true. I would also say that if you are in the military, that doesn't absolve you from living as Christians are called to live, being peacemakers that build the kingdom with all that they are, to essentially work to put themselves out of a job. And in fairness on that, I know a number of people in the military and all of them do a great job at that, so kudos. One last caveat then, what about self-defense? And here I think that you can see most clearly that my thoughts on this are still evolving. Mennonites have historically viewed the value of people as well as the love of Christ as such that if someone's attacking you, then probably they don't understand fully that people have value. And so the best way to show that to them is by turning the other cheek. I think that's a pretty solid bit of logic. But also, if you are defending other people, are you not imposing your own view of what the value of human life is on them as well? That's something to be struggled with. But at the same time, recognizing that just because you're being attacked doesn't mean that the attacker is any less valued as a human being. You don't ever lose your value as being made in the image of God, no matter how much we truly wish that was the case. And so, honestly, where I am with this one right now is maybe kneecap them. It might sound ridiculous, but that's where I am. My opinions will change and they will develop as I talk to you, but yeah. I am a pacifist. I come to that after a long time of struggling with how we are called to live as Christians. And this is where I am now. And so what I will say is if you have any more questions or thoughts, Come talk to me after the service. I'd love to hear them. Amen. While we adjust a little bit, this song will probably be new to most of you, so just enjoy. <clears throat>
As I said earlier, my bulletins would one day fall out, and this is when they choose to do it, right at the benediction. So, don't forget tonight, quiet music night. It won't be a soft music time at all, but it'll be a good one. So come on out for that. And for our benediction, may God go forth with all of you. May he bless you. And may your relationship with him be such that you find joy in living out his truth in the world. Amen.